Amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew 24. If you're a note taker, this morning's message is titled, Open Your Heart to the Poor. Imagine that. I'm stuck on this poor subject. Then if you're familiar with Scripture, Matthew 24, and where we're headed, you might think has absolutely nothing to do with the poor. But we're going to start there because I want to kind of set the stage for something. So if you're in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3 is where we're going to start. And this is where Jesus, he's been spending time preaching, preaching, preaching. He's going about, he's healing people, he's praying for the sick, he's blessing people, and he's preaching. What is the kingdom of God like? You know, and, and he's preaching the word of God and he's, and he's establishing the law and how, how things work and all this stuff. And this is what he's been doing. And finally, there gets to be an opportunity where the disciples get him off to the side and they've got a question for him about what he's been preaching about. And that's where we're going to pick up. We're going to go through a little bit of scripture here and kind of look at a few things and then we'll jump into this. But it says in Matthew 24, verse 3, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and and of the end of the age? The end times, the the big grand finale as he's talking about here. What what are the signs that we are to be looking for as believers? They're asking them, what do we look for to know that you're about to come back the second time, and this whole thing we call life, earth kind of thing, is done. It's over. So he goes on to tell them, verse 4, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Do you ever hear about any wars and rumors of wars? You know, we just had the anniversary of 9-11, 14 years. We have literally been in a state of war, for 14 plus years kind of thing. It's never really come to an end. Yeah, it gets a little backed off and then it gets a little more heated. But there's literally been constant war since then. A lot of young people don't know nothing other than a state of war. No, that's probably not the, the end of it, so to speak, that he's speaking of here. But we hear a lot about wars, so a lot of this is making a lot of sense, in my opinion. Going on in Matthew 24, 7. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. Didn't we just have, and I'm, I don't keep up very well in the news, but wasn't there just an earthquake like a month ago or not even or whatever in a really weird spot? Does anybody know where that was or what that was? Maybe, maybe not. I know I heard something about it, but again, I don't do as well at keeping up in the news because it just seems to be endless crud. But but we're hearing of that stuff. And think about weather patterns. Snow in places that don't snow. Flooding going on in weird places. All kinds of strange stuff going on all over the place. To me, it's lining up with what we got going on here. <clears throat> Verse 8. And these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. I'm starting to see some of that stuff. You see ISIS doing their thing, their hatred towards Christians and what they do to Christians. Granted, they kind of hate anybody and everybody. 
but uh, they're pretty violent towards Christians, and obviously they don't like what we have as a message. You know, in America, in my opinion, Christians are kind of becoming the outcast. You know, we're considered closed-minded. Almost everything that we stand for is offensive. We're hated. People just despise us, especially all these new movements of this, that, and the other. You know, they get their way, but we're just closed-minded and crude and rude, and, and your beliefs or our beliefs offend them. It's just a disgust to them. And, and so you're kind of seeing more of an outcast of the Christian and a not wanted individual, somebody that's hated kind of thing. So that's starting to line up even more and make more sense. How about verse 10? And there will be, and there, then many will be offended. Oh my gosh. Offense. Holy buckets. Anybody spend any time on Facebook? Everybody's offended. Good gravy. I'm offended by this. And you, you offend me because of the way you said that. And, and that belief there, that offends me. And people do stuff just to see how many they can offend. And that's all it is. I mean, I, I, you get about one post of somebody posting a picture of their kids and the fun they had today. And you get eight of them that do these little quotes and things like that just to see who we can offend today, you know. And, and I even see posts that are put out there and that just say this, 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 and this. There, that should offend everybody today. Just got that out of the way. Just, I mean, they're jokes, but it's the truth. Offense, like crazy. I mean, we're just constantly rolling around in this offense, and everybody's offended by everybody, and especially us as Christians. If we, heaven forbid, stand up for what we believe is right, we'll find our way to offend, you know, the, the gays. We'll find our way to offend the Muslims. We find our way to offend this person, that person, everybody. We just, we make them all mad. You know, we're, they're all offended by us, so... Offense, that one really strikes true. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. That's what offense breeds. Offense will be, breed that betrayal, that will breed hatred, all of that. In verse, uh, verse 11 then, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. You know, and I think sometimes we're looking for Jesus people to rise up and deceive many. And I think we overlook some of these that rise up and have all these answers and cures and things like that, and they're going to fix everything, and we know how to do it, and they're just flat deceiving us. Their solutions don't add up because they're not word-based. I don't buy it. It's a bunch of nothing, you know. So I think there's more of that going on than we even think we see because we could be, heaven forbid, deceived. But anyway, verse 12, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And this is the scripture that's really sticking out to me. And because of lawlessness, lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. We hear about this stuff. You know, you hear about the wars and the rumors of wars. And it's 14 years long we've been doing this. It's just what we do. You hear about people and violence and crimes. I mean, rioting. That's going on. People stomping on the flag. People trying to kill cops. Cops are the bad people. You know, they're horrible. And yeah, maybe there's some screwed up ones out there, but there's, there's some screwed up of us too. So I guess everybody's got that category. But we're just pushing and shoving against everything. And everybody's fighting with everybody. And everybody's rights are more important than everybody else's. And, and after a while, there's so much of this going on 
but you just kind of almost get used to it, you know. And, and oh, somebody else got shot because they uh, a white cop got a hold of a black guy or whatever. It, you know, just the stuff going on. Somebody else gets killed, and here goes another riot. Whatever it is, I know I'm. I don't. I don't even try to read a lot of that stuff because, again, I just you kind of get used to it. It's just what's going on anymore, and before long you you start getting numb to that kind of stuff, and because of the lawlessness that's abounding, you and us and everybody else just gets numb, and we don't love anybody. Love doesn't exist because you've got to kind of shield yourself. You've got to put up a wall because you can't let all that stuff in because it'll just eat you up. It'll make you go crazy. And you can start freaking out about all this stuff. Am I safe? Am I not? Can I say anything? Should I not? Do I dare speak up for what I believe in? Or do I even act like I'm a Christian because what happens if? Or I don't want to go to that place no more because they believe in that. And, and I don't want to say I don't believe in that because then they might sue me or, or whatever it might be. It's just on and on and on. So we end up kind of closing in, shutting down, putting up that wall, and then we get into this defensive mode of self-preservation. I'm just going to try and kind of isolate myself and protect myself because there's so much going on out here. Maybe if I just move real slow and I just worry about me, it won't touch me. It won't affect me. What kind of reaching out can you do at that point? What kind of love is being extended at that point? You see, you read these things, and we see all of this going on, and we start getting wrapped up into all of this, and we start getting spooked by it. And like I said, a defensive mechanism of self-preservation kicks in. Now, you've got to take care of yourself. Don't get me wrong. But that, has, that is not how the Word works and not how Jesus taught us to be. He didn't tell us to take care of yourself, try to save your own butt, and don't worry about anybody else. That, that don't add up. But that's how, and that's why, the love of many will grow cold. We're in this mode of self-preservation. And you've got to understand something. An attitude of self-preservation is a trap. You get into that, and you're getting stuck in a trap. That is deception, in my opinion, and it is a trap of the enemy to get you spooked and to get you to just close down or shut down and worry about taking by yourself or just taking care of yourself. There's nothing in the Bible that talks about you and worried about you and you alone. It's all about reaching out. It's all about getting out. It's all about sticking your nose out there and taking a chance that you're going to get slapped and then, heaven forbid, turn the other cheek and let them slap that one too. Right? <clears throat> so, what do we do about all this? How do you, you know what, shake this off and say, enough. I'm not going to get caught in this trap of self-preservation, and I'm not going to allow my heart to grow numb and shut down. <clears throat> you read these scriptures and what this is talking about. The end times are coming. The end is near. We're drawing to the end. This thing's going to pop here before long, and it's going to be over. We're running out of time. Dear Lord, I've got people I need to talk to. I've got things I want to do. What about my business? What about reaching out to my family? What about my neighbor that I know is not, not there, but yet at the same time, well, golly, if I stick my nose out there, I might get 
offend somebody or anything like that. And, and before long, you're getting caught up in this rush and this run because the end times are for coming for crying out loud. It's going to be over. Our chance is almost lost, and I want to do great things for God. Number one, how to fix this attitude of self-preservation and to not allow your heart to grow cold. And this might sound like an oxymoron, especially when you're reading about end times. Slow down. That's number one. And this has been stuck in my head for weeks. Slow down. Everything we do, everything that is out there, is faster and faster and faster. We need results. Now we've got goals, and we want them reached right now. And I will do whatever it takes day and night to see my goal come to pass. I don't know if there's anything such as a five-year plan anymore, let alone even a one-year plan. I don't think they exist. We got like a four-hour plan, maybe, at best. My goals for the day are for the first four hours of the day. That's as far as I'm reaching out because I ain't got time to go any further than that. (laughs) Slow down. It isn't over yet. It isn't going to pop tomorrow, and if it does, who cares? We're done. We're out of (laughs) here. We win no matter what. So, Don't allow that to come on you. And don't allow yourself to get caught up in that rush, rush, rush attitude. And if anybody needs to hear this more than anybody in this room, it's this guy. (laughs) It's easy to get caught up in that and easy to have so much going on. And before you know it, you're just running and running and running. And time passes by, time passes by, time passes by. And you're, you're like, hmm, I know God, but... Well, I haven't heard from him for a long time. Why doesn't he talk to me anymore? Jeez, I never never really get those neat moments I used to have where just out of nowhere I'd be hanging out with God and, and feel his presence and he'd say something sweet to me. How come you don't do that no more? What's wrong with God? Does he not love me anymore? No. Just don't ever check in with him anymore. I've been so busy and running so hard that we just flat blow past that. And how can you show that love of God if you don't have it coming in? You need to just slow down. And then number two, spend some time with God. Well, that's pretty simple. Yeah, it is. But it's pretty messed. And it's pretty easy. If you're not slowing down, you ain't going to have time for God. And you've got to have that connection if you want any effectiveness in reaching out to somebody and extending the love of God to them, let alone being able to express to them salvation and things of that nature and and change their life forever because of that good news that you have. You've got to stay hooked up with that source. So slow down and get alone with God. I can guarantee you, there's some people in this room. You got some pretty busy schedules. You got a lot going on. <clears throat> but I'll put money on it. Nobody was busier than Christ. Day and night, that guy was thronged by people. Day and night, people were chasing him all over the countryside because they wanted what he had. They wanted healing. They wanted that presence. They wanted his wisdom. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to see him dead. They wanted to stone him. They wanted to hang him. They wanted to run him off. All these things nonstop in his life. I mean, if you watch and you read through and you look for those moments that where he shut down, 
you'll see there's many hours in between where he's going and going and going because the people throng him, the people come to him, and the people are just coming around him, and they're all wanting something from him. Day and night this goes on for him. But he'd always take time and run off by himself, get alone with God. Always found time to do that because he knew if he didn't stay hooked up, he don't have anything to give out. And you can run on the fuel tank you got for a while, but they always work their way down to that E. And once you hit empty, then what? You can try and push on all you want, but you're, you're not going to produce anymore. You're not going to get anywhere anymore. And I think that's what happens a lot is we hit E and we don't even realize it. And we keep trying to push on and we just keep going like we're going, thinking we're going, and we're not. You're not moving anywhere. You're not producing anything for the kingdom of God. You're not being used of God anymore to reach somebody or be a blessing for somebody. You're not hearing from God like you used to on a regular basis because you're out. You're done. There's nothing to output anymore. You've got to check back in and get fueled up. So you've got to find a way to get away from it all, shut it down, and spend some time with God. And I... I understand this is as simple as it gets of a message. But if you don't do these things, the rest of it don't count. You can hear the greatest of technical teachings or whatever, some deep new theology. What good is it to you if none of this is happening? You've got to slow down and check in with God and spend some time with Him. And it's not like you've got to block out a four-hour period of your day. I challenge some people sometimes, especially newer ones that are just getting into the things of God, five minutes. You'll be amazed what five minutes what God can do. You know, I like to walk a path around our place we've got mowed out. It's maybe a 10-minute walk kind of thing. You'll be amazed what 10 minutes can do for me. It clears my melon. Come home all wound up and in that ready to go and I'm ready to run through walls yet attitude or I'm angry because the things went wrong or whatever it may be. You're wound up and you're wound tight. Take 10 minutes. You'll be amazed what that does for you. Clears your melon. Get some of that garbage out of there. And then you can check in and start getting those things that you need. Okay, shut it down. That was today. It's over now. So what do I got to have for the next day? What do I got to have for tonight? What is your plans for me? You know, I've been hearing about needing to reach out to the poor, but I've Yet to slow down even long enough to ask God, hey, show me an opportunity and I'll meet it. If you don't ever slow down, you're going to blow right through them and you'll miss them. It'll be shooting by you all the time, those opportunities and those blessings because you're shooting right through life. Uh, fast of course as you can to flip and burn and fly into the end zone and roll in there with empty pockets. You know, we talked about how Reaching out to the poor and giving to the poor builds your heavenly bank account. Something to draw from when you have a need. All of a sudden, we're pushing through life so hard and fast, and we, we burn out, and we have a need. There's nothing to pull from. Now, thank God for mercy. Thank God he's always merciful to us. But you can just keep on keeping on if you've got something to pull from. Because you're making deposits. It's there. You cash in. That was my need. I'm moving again. Blow out a tire. It's fine. I got my money aside. 
fix that tire, and I'm moving again. And I'm still doing things, and I'm making deposits on my way because I'm not letting those things blow by me. So, Christ is our example. He finds time to spend time with God, and I guarantee you, again, if you go back and you really think about what he's doing and where he's at and what's going on in his life, if you, if you read other than just the red, le- red letters and you read the stuff in between, you'll see what he's been up to, where he's going, the traveling, the constant of the people, the hours that he's running, the middle of the night stuff that's going on all the time. When this dude slept, I don't hardly know. But he was a human, so he was sleeping too. But he was pushing in, and he was still getting time alone with God and doing those things. But when he came out of that, when he was done spending time with God and refreshing and recharging, what did he go out and do? Anybody? Same thing he always did. Same thing he was doing all the time. Acts chapter ten thirty-eight. You've heard this scripture a million times. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with them. Doing good, healing those that are oppressed. We'll get into it here, but did you know that a lot of times when it speaks about the poor, it always references oppression? You know, there's two definitions to poor. There's financial poor, which is what we've been talking a lot about with alms. But then there's also spiritually poor basically those that don't know christ they're spiritually poor they're bankrupt they're out they've got nothing to draw on spiritually so it goes both ways but a lot of times in my opinion the easy way to get the spiritually poor taken care of is to meet a financially poor need Did i say that right that makes sense When you go out and you bless somebody like that and you meet the need like that, it just opens up the door. And heaven forbid, and through that, you might get to know somebody and then that relationship's developed to a degree and they realize things are going well in your life and why is that? What are they looking at? They're not looking at you. They're looking at your source. And they figure out that you've got something they don't got and they're spiritually bankrupt too and they find that through those same things. Christ was always reaching out. He was always doing something good, as it states. He was always blessing people. He was blessing kids. He was blessing adults. He's healing people. He's teaching them. He's giving them the word. He's doing these kind things. He's feeding them. He's taking care of them. He's doing all these things, even in the midst of people scoffing at him, people mocking him, people trying to stone him. None of that stuff slowed him down. He didn't care. He didn't worry about it. And we get caught up with this, again, this self-preservation attitude, and that will pull you back in and get you away from reaching out. So we use this him as our example to keep on going, keep on going. Slow down, take some time with God, and then get out there and pump it out. So that's the third thing, and i kind of already been talking about it, but just reach out. And specifically, as we've been talking about alms and for the poor, that is like, I don't, I don't want to make it sound wrong. Let me see how I kind of wrote it down. But 
I don't even know where I had it now. You could almost say that they, as in the poor, are an easy target to reach out to because they're already looking for answers. They're looking for something to put their hope into. They're looking for something to save them. They might not be looking for a savior because they might not know that. But somebody who's financially poor, especially even somebody who's spiritually poor, generally they're not caught up with a lot of this other hype because they're already beyond the self-preservation mode and they're in a survival mode. They're trying to do everything they can just to get by. And if they got families, they're doing everything they can to try and provide something for their family and make ends meet. You know, they're, they don't have enough to do it. And so they're in a survival mode. So the last thing, when you're in a survival mode, if you're injured or something like that, let's say you're out on a hike in the middle of the mountains and you fall and you cut your leg open and you're bleeding good and you know you're miles away from any sort of help, do you think you really give a rip about what ISIS is doing over anywhere? No. Do you think you really give a rip that somebody's offended by you because you're a Christian? No. You're in survival mode. The only thing that's important to you is to figure out how to get this fixed, find an answer, find a solution, and and cure the problem, or find somebody who can bring you that answer or bring you that help that you need so you can survive the situation. Generally, people who are in this state... in a a poor state. They're in a survival mode. They really don't give a rip about all this other stuff. They're doing everything they can to survive and they're looking for answers or someone who can bring that answer to them and fix that problem. And if you bring the answer to them, if you bring and meet a need, you can also bring and meet the true need that they have that's going to set them on a path to get out of that. It's not God's desire that anybody be poor financially. (laughs) Obviously, if if you've heard anything I've been talking about through tithes and offerings and alms, what do I always say at the end? You can't outgive God. You start doing this stuff, and it'll just come flooding back into you, and all of your needs get met, and you've got an overabundance, so you can just keep pouring it back out. Because God knows if you'll... Move it on. He'll bring it to you. He's looking for people to do that. There's a scripture that talks, well, there's lots of scriptures that talk about it, but the, the, the money that the crafty ones figure out how to make, you mean, if you look at the world, you think, how did them people get so rich? They're a jerk. They're just hosing people. They're deceiving people, taking advantage of them, and getting all this money. That's not right. Did you know what they're making that money for? Those people who are going to give it to the poor. That's what they're making it for. That's what the scripture says. And if I, I got like three pages of scripture, uh, scriptures on these, uh, the poor, and I can't imagine that I'll probably be able to just up and find it. But I think it's right on here. I don't know. You have to, or I have to apologize. I could have had that found up and ready to go, but. But it goes on to say that those people are pulling those riches in for you and I who are willing to give it away. And you're thinking, well, how's that work? It always does. It works out. You know, if you follow through a lot of them people and then after they die, all these things that they build and use, a lot of times they end up getting used by God later on. He's just pulling it in and he'll he'll turn it around. So you can't worry about stuff like that, I guess is what I'm saying. Don't get caught up in 
these wicked, so to speak, people making tons of money and, and cheating to do it and using people to do it. It comes back around every time. But if you're willing to, to allow that to slip through and reach out to somebody, God will keep bringing it into you. He's, he's a creative God. He always finds ways. It just blows my mind sometimes how money comes rolling in in unique different ways and, and the almost stupid situations that you find yourself in to, to just easily make money kind of thing. And it's like, well, that was the easiest $200 I ever made. And, and then God kind of tugs on your heart and goes, that's for them. That's for this. And you're like, oh, well, that was easy enough. I can surely give that up. I didn't need it anyway. You know, that was above and beyond. And when he recognizes you'll be willing to do that, he'll keep pumping it in. So you've got to get that heart's attitude developed to reach out and to reach out to the poor. And like I said, I kind of harping on the poor this morning for reaching out because it's the easiest in my opinion, if you're, if you're afraid to reach out and to preach the gospel to somebody, we make it something that's so hard to do, and we make it sound like we've got to roll the old soapbox over, stand up on Norfolk Avenue, and just start hollering out these things to God, and it's going to be so awkward, and I don't know what to say, and, and it's going to be hard for me to come up with the right words to say, and what if they mock me or scoff at me, or what if nobody even listens, and yada, yada. We make it something harder. I don't know if you caught it last week. It wasn't even part of his message because I even asked him about it, and I don't think he even really knew what I was talking about. But last week when Pastor started preaching, he got off on a tangent about relationships and how important relationships are for reaching people. It's not, it's not a good preaching quality. It's not a, even more often than not, it's not the boldness just to go up to a random stranger and start talking about God. And there's times and situations where that, for whatever reason, works out. But if you're going to just walk around and grab the hand of a total, complete stranger and shake it and start preaching the gospel to them, I can guarantee you you're going to strike out way more than you're going to have any luck, especially be wise of the times. It's not, not going to be anything anybody's going to be like, oh, I've just been waiting for somebody to come tell me about Jesus. This is great. Go on. No, that's probably not going to happen. But it's through relationships. It's through spending time with them. And it might take years. Heaven forbid. But as you develop those relationships and you get us uh, rub shoulders with these people, eventually they'll figure it out. They start seeing your life and how it's different and how you're blessed and how you're not rattled by this stuff. You're not in a mode of self-preservation, but you're giving. You're loving. You're, you haven't grown cold in your heart, and you don't have hatred for all these other different people. You're not offended by them showing their view. Yes, you stand up for what you believe in, but that doesn't mean you're bitter and offended by it. And they start seeing that in your heart. They'll be drawn to that. You know, okay, here's my question for you. Now, let's even exclude family on this, but how many people are in this room are here today because of a relationship with somebody, and eventually, through that relationship, they either invited you to church or they decided to come to church because of that relationship. And like I said, let's even exclude family. So like, uh, Julie, you're out because your mom was here. We'll just call that. So that way we even see a more true result of that. How many of you would say that's the case? Hands just keep going up. Quite a bit. Quite a bit. Kenny's not here today, but... He's in church because of relationships. Kenny is, is and I'll pick on him because he's not here, 
But he's not the type to trust most anybody, period. Because he has been done wrong by a lot of people, unfortunately, a lot in his life. People have taken advantage of him and stuck it to him and left him in this state of, fine, I just won't trust anybody. Goes into a self-preservation mode. But through relationship, I don't know, we've been working together for how many years, and he worked with mom and dad for how many years. So he finds these relationships, and he just can't seem to get away from this thing. And he just kind of continues to watch. And Kenny's that kind of guy where he just observes people. And he was checking you out. He's waiting for you to trip and fall is what he's doing. And he's thinking, yeah, this is whatever. We'll see, you know. And, and eventually he sees it doesn't break down, and there's something real to that. And here he is. And now he's telling me things that, you know, how, what he's gotten out of messages and how he's doing things different and changing his life because he heard pastor's message, yada, yada, yada. That's the coolest thing in the world to me. Nate, how'd you get here? You know somebody? Yeah, same thing. <clears throat> I've argued with God many a times for sending Nate into my life. Why have you done this? What are you trying to teach? No, I'm kidding. But it's the same thing. He started working at the reclamation center through a complete outside source. Who'd have thunk how God organizes those things? And the kid drove me nuts in the beginning. I could have probably rather seen him go away sometimes even because he, he required a lot of attention. But I saw what God was up to. And you, you, you roll with it. And you see those opportunities start coming up then. And you just throw a little bait out there. And you just show them what your life is like. You don't have to preach some fancy sermon on the mount. Quit making it so hard. Just live your life. But when the opportunity comes up, just be real. Tell them why. Why are you so blessed? Why are you so happy today? Why, don't, why aren't you mad about that? Why doesn't that bother you? Just tell them the truth. And they'll probably laugh and scoff and go, yeah, whatever. But you guess what? You stuck a little word in their heart. Now they got to live with that. And it's amazed me how those little words sometimes will just sit in there and start to fester. And they don't show it. If anything, they keep on mocking. And they might even mock more because they recognize something's happening to them. And they're kind of resisting that change. But it's just in their heart festering. You cannot underestimate the power of the word of God. And when you speak just a little bit of it out there, it gets into their heart and it cuts deep. It goes deeper than even the power of regular words. It gets in there and does something and it festers inside of them. You know, it's a bad example, but you can almost call it like, a, like an infection. I like to infect people. <laughs> and it gets in there and it just starts festering. And before long, they can't stand it no more. And they start asking questions, just a little one here and there. And then you stick a little more word in there. And it's through that relationship they end up finding the trust of what the source is that's behind it all. So, again, by reaching out to those in need, it's an easy thing to do because we all can do something. And, then, and you don't have to give money. That's why Kenny's not here today. He's going up to, to an aunt's place who doesn't have the money but has a leaking roof. And he went and bought a few supplies that he could go up and patch and try and fix some things for her. But she lives in a whole other state, so it's a whole day kind of thing. So guess where he's at today? They're in an alms. And that, that was his whole goal out of it, too. That's why he's doing it, because he wants to do an alms. And I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> and so then she starts seeing this, and why are you being nice to me? Nobody's nice to anybody anymore. Everybody's just rude. I don't know why. 
We're all in this together. Gosh, you do something for nice for somebody, and they want to hand you a fistful of cash because they think you expect it. No, we're in this together. We're all here together. It's fine. You know, we're not, you don't have to do that. So just by doing something nice, it catches people completely off guard. And, and it makes an easy open door. So then they, they, they observe that, and, and then you, you get an opportunity. It opens the door to that. And, and like I said, as you spend time with them, people, and you do nice things for them, eventually the walls start to come down. And you don't even have to preach the gospel to them. They start asking the questions and it gets easy. And it just opens the door up and you just got to tell them what you know. Well, I don't know a whole lot. Well, you know you're saved, I hope, right? So just the little things. Again, don't make it so hard. So again, just kind of going back over where we're at, don't allow all this that's going on to infect your heart and to push you in a mode of self-preservation. Don't shut down, but just slow down. Slow down a little bit. Evaluate where you're at. There's only one person that can dictate your schedule, and that's you. If you don't take the time and you don't find a way, well, I got all these things and all these people need this, and they come and bother me, this, that, and the other, yada, yada, all this stuff keeps coming and and I can't find the time. I can't hardly even find the five minutes. No, do it. And I say that almost bluntly, rudely. Just do it. Quit making excuses. The only reason you can't do it is because you don't do it. Do it. Slow down a little bit and take time to spend with God. And then let him speak to you something. And give you an opportunity to go out and to do an alm or bless somebody, and you'll start seeing that relationship develop, and you'll start seeing those opportunities show up, and you'll start being able to show that love instead of allowing it to grow cold in your heart. Amen? It's Again, I don't come with some sort of rocket science message today. It's pretty basic and simple, but it's that easy. always has been. I guess I've always found it pretty easy just to live my life. That's your greatest testimony. Just live your life. Live it for God and do your part to reach out to God and the rest of it will just show off on its own. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your precious word. I thank you, Father God, that though we may have fallen short, we may have allowed ourselves to get wound up, caught up, and get even into a mode of self-preservation, Today, Father, we ask that you would soften our hearts, that you would move on our hearts and and pour your love out into our hearts, that our hearts would grow full of compassion. And Lord, help us to, to get a hold of ourselves and to put ourselves into a mode of shutting down and slow down that we might spend some time with you to get your heart and to get that love to come through us and out to others, Father God. And I pray, Father, that you would show us all opportunities in the days ahead. We're talking about reaching out to the poor, Father. Give us opportunities to do that. Show us little things. Not necessarily do they just have to be a fistful of cash, but maybe a deed of kindness that we can do for somebody, Father. And help us, Lord, with the relationships we already have to continue to show that love and to continue to live our lives in a way that express that, Father. 
that it might draw many in, Father God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.